I want to talk about a joy that should drive our lives. You know, and Justin's talking about being in the city and seeing some people with the Santa Claus outfit. You can't see somebody coming with the Santa outfit and just, it puts a smile on your face. You're just like, what's this person doing? Like, where are they all coming from? There's this Santa multiplier down in the subway, but they're, they're popping out of everywhere. And when you see them, every, everything at this season, for me, I can look at lights decorated, you know, wreaths up there. In our house, we have, we don't just have one Christmas tree, we have two, we have a fake one a real one, like the real one, uh, especially at night, the smell of it. It just, there's so much in the season that brings joy. Don't you find that to be true? But you know, uh, joy's not for a season. It's supposed to be a way of life. That's what I want to talk about today because imagine Justin and the folks that went out yesterday, they approach somebody and they've just got a scowl on their face and they're like, hey, why don't you come to the Christmas presentation at the Brooklyn Tabernacle? He'd be like, yeah, no, thank you. I remember one time seeing um, a woman, uh, she was in our church, and she was very sincere, she was well-meaning, but she was making an attempt in a thing that we did, an outreach that we did, to try to uh, encourage people to come for prayer. And the look on her face and the way that she was postured was so uptight, it was so not disarming, it was so like just, I am not going to walk over in that direction. Uh, that it, sometimes, if we're not careful, the joy that we're supposed to walk with, if we don't have it, can actually be a turnoff to the world. You know, well, hey, God's going to judge you. People are like, uh, no, thank you. But where people see joy in believers because they walk with the presence of the one who brings joy. When you see that, it does something. Think right now the most joyful person you know. Do you have a person in your mind? Can you think of somebody right now who's like the most joyful person you know? It should be the person you look at in the mirror, but you probably have to go outside of yourself like me <laughs> and find somebody that is just, yeah, I got that person. You love being around them. I do. When I find somebody that's full of joy, there's a contagious thing about it that just is like, I'm happy to see them. I got a couple of friends like that, and I love to just get on the phone, talk to them, or even be around them because who they are just exudes like a joy that is just like, yeah, I want that, to, that's, that's what life should be. And that's kind of what the season is about. It's giving us a glimpse into what life really should be, a celebration of God's love. That's what joy is to me. It's a celebration of what he's done and what it leaves me with is something I can't contain. I hope that as we go through this season, especially as we come out of this church today, the things that we talk about will remind you of not just the value of joy, but stir something up inside of you that you begin to trust God for what that joy is supposed to be in you. You know, the psalmist, he, lots of psalms talk about hundreds of places in the Old Testament that talk about joy. It says this, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Let's be, let's be filled with joy about the day that you've been given. You've been given today. Are you happy about it? Or did you come in here today like, okay, I'm going to church. I got to do this. You're going to come into church. You're going to be around the people of God. You're going to be more importantly in the presence of God. That should do something to be like, let's go. But then of course we have Sunday that's a day full with joy, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, by the time you get to Saturday, it's like, yeah, I got to go back to church to get some more joy. Not the case. Even in the Old Testament, it said, shout for joy to the Lord. It's the last time you shouted for joy. I'm not talking about like at a football game, a sporting event. You're like, woo, my team. I'm talking about thinking about who God is, thinking about all that he's done. 
and being like, I can't contain this. Do you know how amazing my God is? It's a smile on my face that's not like a Kool-Aid smile. It's a smile I can't contain because he is so good. And then the things that come out of me, people are like, yeah, relax, stop drinking so much coffee. It's not coffee, it's Jesus. The place that says worship him, serve him in gladness, not just on you're here serving in some ministry at the church, but tomorrow at your job before your boss, you're a, you're a boss and people under you, do they see you serving him and all that you do with gladness? This is expectation. This is, this is, these aren't like suggestions. These are commands. Serve him with gladness. Is your life characterized like you just sucked the lemon and you're walking around and it's just like, this guy, come on. Or is it like, no, look at this guy. What's he on? Continues to say, come before him with joyful songs. We did that today. And some of you are visiting here and you don't really come to church and this is so, so grateful that you're here. But you got to ask yourself, why, are, why do you come to listen to music? Because there's something in the music that we sing that speaks of the goodness of a Savior that we know that fills our hearts with joy, and that joy becomes something, I think, that's attractive. That's why people come from all over Europe, Latin America, from different parts of the world. It's not because of a church. It's because the music speaks of a God who is so good, and it elicits a joy out of our heart. If you've been blessed by the music today, it might help to explain why. These charges that we have, they continue into the New Testament. Rejoice in the Lord always. It says that in Philippians in the fourth chapter, the fourth verse. Rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. So you have all these places, all these charges from the Old Testament. These are, there's hundreds of them in the Bible. I'm just giving you a couple just to make you stop and think about what your life is supposed to look like. How other people are supposed to perceive you. There's supposed to be some sense of like... They really do know a God that's amazing. Look at the joy that comes out of them. But it's, it's not just a good suggestion. These are, these are commands. So I'm just saying, you come in here today, and I, there's, a, there's a challenging world out there. We all have to live through it. And when you live through it, it can go a long way to just suck the life out of you. As I was thinking about my thoughts today, I was reminding myself of a Christmas where my son Luke, he was a young guy, and he wanted, a, uh, he wanted like a remote control it was, yeah, it was a motorcycle, and it had this, this guy on top of it. It wasn't just a remote control, but it was really, it was, it was amazing. It was kind of cool. And so he gets this thing, and he is like, let's go. It brought him such joy. And I go, well, let's go outside. But before, before you use it, because he was a little kid, I go, this costs us a lot of money. Before you use it, let me just show you how to run this thing. And he's like, okay, let's go. Let's go. So we're outside. We pop this thing down. I turn the thing on, and then... I like, I like things to go fast, so I'm like, let's go. I put, turn the thing on, it starts to go, and I'm like, let's see how fast this thing can go. And I, like, lay this thing out. And this thing screams down the street, and the next thing I know, I don't steer it right, and it goes underneath the car and decapitates the motorcycle rider. My son went from laughing and, like, so full of joy to, in a moment, like, crying. Mom, Dad just decapitated my toy. Isn't that life, though? That's all of us. We, we, we can come into church, be filled with so much joy, and then leave. And sometimes we can come to church. Like I just came off the platform. I was going around saying hello to a lot of people. I walk up to one guy, and he goes, hey, nice sweater. Is this the ugly Christmas day? I was like, my brother's trying to rob me of joy before we start. 
not going to happen. I said, no, but obviously you think it's ugly Christmas Day sweater because he had one on. You can find challenges in church. You can find challenges on the street. There's always something that's going to try to come at the joy that you're supposed to walk in. Isn't that true? But let's take a second and let's just remind ourselves from Scripture about as we walk through this season, not just let's have a season where we have with all the other things happening, our hearts get stirred with some joy for the moment, but then in the new year, we lose it because we can't fulfill our New Year's pledges. There's supposed to be a joy that carries us through the season, that carries us through this life where you and I are marked by joy. We're going to open up our Bible. It's going to be Luke, the second chapter, starting in verse 8. Before we read, God, would you help us not just to hear words? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us a heart that opens up to trust you for the truth that we're about to focus on? Jesus went to a cross to make this truth alive in us. Help us to be alive with joy in this season like never before. In Jesus' name. It says this, starting in verse 8. That night, there were some shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appears among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy, not just to you, but to all people everywhere. I'm bringing to you, I'm telling you tonight, there is something that is happening that is so good, the news is so amazing, that it is going to bring a joy that's uncontainable, unspeakable. It goes on to say, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped as snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest of heaven and peace on earth with those whom God has pleased. Let's just take a second and Consider before we talk about the joy and the wonder of the message that I think as we reflect on in this season, it'll stir joy afresh in our hearts. Let's just talk about who he, the, the angel, came to. And the host of Evans, they, they gave a choir concert to. Could you imagine being those guys? It's the greatest choir concert that's ever been given. And these guys that the choir, hosts of heaven, came to were just a bunch of fellows, just a bunch of forgotten guys in a field tending to some sheep. They were born into a a people that were a forgotten people, it seemed. It seems like God had even forgotten about it. 400 years of silence. God seems to have judged the people in Israel to a point where he had kind of left them. And they're still trying to hold on to hope. But the hope that they're holding on to is continually being assaulted. Because one invasion after another, you have these different countries that come in and take over the land that God had given them. Because they ended up losing in their unfaithfulness to him. So he was disciplining them, and the discipline didn't seem like it would ever end. And so there was oppression. Anybody rebelled against the people that were there, you read through early church history, streets could be lined in the history of the day. Streets could be lined with bodies that the Romans had thrown up on crosses. Crucifixion was a common practice. And so if you go against us, this is what's going to happen to all of you. So they lived in terror. They lived in fear. And they lived in oppression because these people came in and they taxed them. So the little bit that they had, they had to give to them. They were oppressed in ways that were just overwhelming. These guys weren't just 
They weren't just Jews that were being oppressed. These were Jews who among their own people were kind of marginalized and pushed away because of what they were called to do, to continue to keep the practice that was necessary to continue practicing in the sacrificing of lambs. These guys are out tending to lambs in the field so that the whole system that had been set up where lambs being brought into the temple being sacrificed, these pictures of the lamb that would one day come and be slain for the sin of the world, these guys are helping to support that. And yet because it's their job, they're unclean. They're out in the field. They're dealing in sheep and manure and blood. And so any of the people that were trying to live right before God coming around them would avoid them because they were unclean. So they're not just oppressed, but they're, they're like forgotten. They're like looked down upon by even their own people. And then they're people just like you and I. Whatever these shepherds were in the field, they're contending with the same sin that you and I face. What'd you bring in here? What have you, what have you gotten yourself involved with in your life? Bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, drinking, getting high, whatever. These guys, they're no different than you and I. So they have their own inward challenges that they're facing. So they got challenges within. They got challenges with their own people. They got challenges with oppressors on the outside. It's an important point to make because their condition probably left them in a place where there wasn't a whole lot of joy. And yet, who did God come to? He came to a bunch of shepherds, a forgotten people that lost their joy. And an angel comes and says, hey, what? The glory of God comes down. Glory of God is really, it's a, it's a word. There's a lot of different words that try to make sense of it. But one means weight. It's like the weight of who God is. All that he is in heaven begins to settle down. Whenever you see the glory of God coming, it's, a, it's some sort of spiritual manifestation of all that God is in his holiness, in his love, his purity, his power. It comes to somebody and it overwhelms them. And these guys, like a lot of people who get confronted by the glory of God in the Bible, they get terrified. And they start to like want to run. The, the, the original words, like they want to they take flight. They want to like get out of there. And the angel's like, no, 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 stop, stop. No, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. No, just shh, relax. I'm not here to take you out. I'm here to bring you in. Let me tell you, this is, this is so good for you. It's so good for everyone. The Savior of the world has been born. This news, which you've been waiting for and your people have been waiting for for millennia, the promise that was given to Adam and Eve, the blessing that would come through Adam that would be a blessing to the nations of the earth, the one who would sit on David's throne, the one that Moses prophesied about and said, there's one that's going to come after me. You've got to listen to him. He's going to speak. He's going to speak the truth of God. That Savior has been born. Oh, my goodness. These guys knew the stories of a Savior. These guys were waiting with all the oppression, especially that was politically happening. They were waiting for some breakthrough in the night, some light piercing the darkness that would begin to come. And now these guys are the ones that get to hear it for the first time. 400 years of silence broken with a concert. This God, this Messiah, this Savior has come. And what happens? The angels end up breaking into song. We don't think of it, maybe I don't, but I, I start thinking of it this way. Like the angels, they sat in the presence of this God who is so kind, so loving, who delights in doing things for his creation, doing things for the people, the objects of his love. And the greatest thing that he could do broke through. And the angels that knew this God, this infinite, amazing, all-powerful God, they see this this God manifesting himself in the form of a child, a baby, a helpless little kid. People that are Muslims, that's a hard thing for them to swallow. 
people that are Jews, that's another. It's a hard thing for them to swallow. How does Almighty God condescend into flesh? If you throw love into the equation, it explains how that God could do that. And so the angels in wonder and awe, they begin to give glory. They begin to praise. Do you ever notice when God's glory is revealed what happens to a soul? Why does this church like to sing? It's not because there's a bunch of people in the choir that like to sing. It's because when you meet the living God, there is something. When his glory comes, you can't help but keep it in. You've got to sing about it. You've got to declare it. You've got to go see what it's about. And so these shepherds, hearing this, seeing this, overtaken by it, what do they do? They go, let's go find this baby. They take off running. They go and they see where he is. They see where he's lying. And they start to tell everybody, can you believe it? This is the Messiah. This is God. This is the Savior of the world. We just got met by some angels that said that to us and that sang. We saw saw thousands of them singing over this little baby's coming. They're all sitting there like, what is going on? Maybe you're here today like, what is going on with these people? What's going on with this pastor? He's a little, he's a little like rambunctious. He's a little like whatever. Mm. When you've seen him, you can't help. You can't help but proclaim him. You can't help but to say, listen, look, why are we going into the streets? Why are we going to invite people? Because come, look at the one who has come for you. And these guys, they leave praising God. They leave filled with joy. Now it was a moment. And that moment would pass, and life would come back, and they would be confronted with bills and spouses and kids and challenges. I wonder how long that joy lasted. Well, it may have been up and down, or could have kind of been up and down because of the reality of even though a baby had come, a baby had not been crucified yet. See, real joy comes. Real joy comes because of that. The good news is what brings us joy. Joy to all people comes because of the good news of Jesus. I want to take just a few minutes, and I want to remind you of what that good news is in the season that we're having. I just want to make three points. There's a lot maybe to be said about three points. I'll try to just keep it streamlined. But I'm asking, this is more of an exhortation than it is like, let's get out our notebook and let's write down things. If, if, you, if something's encouraged, try to hold on to it. But, but listen to the heart of love that's behind the message of hope says this, and we're all familiar with it, in John three sixteen, It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We all know that. I want to I take three points. One comes from a father, one comes from a son, and one comes from the Spirit. These things understood, these things like delighted in, rejoiced in, are going to stir your heart in this Christmas season, and it will keep you full of joy into a, into a new year. So there's a father today, a father that you don't see, a father that's made everything. He didn't make it for what it is, but made it so that as people trusted him, there would be nothing but happiness and joy. But because we made a choice to say, ah, we don't really want to trust your way. We're going to do it our way. He sees the mess that we get ourselves into, and he knows it's going to separate us from the life that we were made for. Instead of knowing joyness and happiness and knowing pleasure, it would bring sadness, it would bring grief, it would bring sorrow and pain. And because a father's full of love, he says, I can't, I cannot live in this way. I've got to do something to help them. The thing that he would do that would help us would be sending his son into the world. Now, I have another child. I got four 
telling kids stories today and giving. Because I think as I was considering this, this, this really struck me. I hate animals. Not hate them. I'm just not like I grew up in the country, and if you have, if you have like a dog like I did, the dog it was it would go out into the woods and it would bring back a deer carcass. It would go back and it would bring like animals. They're they just kind of raw and wild and just dirty. And so bringing that thing into your house to me was just like just keep the thing out. Dogs I can stand. Cats I don't really like. Do we have any cat fans in here? If you are, I don't want to offend you. You might want to plug your ears, but. I'm not a fan of cats. I never have been. And you can pray for me until Jesus comes, but I don't think that's going to (laughs) change. But I love my daughter. My youngest daughter named Charlotte. And she's a delight. She's a joy. She brings such happiness to my heart. Just looking at her just, just stirs like pleasure in my soul. And for years, she's been like, Daddy, 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 could you get me an animal? And I'm like, no, no, no. I conveniently caught allergies to animals so that I would be like, I I can't. I'm allergic. I love you, but I can't take one for the team like that. But in seeing her heart longing for a cat for as long as she did, I finally was just like, you know what? I am going to take one for the team. And if my eyes blow up and my throat starts to scratch, I know it's going to give her such pleasure that whatever. We've had the cat for a couple of months now. And every day I walk in the room and I see her with the cat. She's holding it. She's treating it like it's a baby. It's actually kind of a cute cat. So maybe there is hope for me. But, <laughs> but watching what's so cute, what so stirs my heart is what it does for her. It brings her such joy that I can't help but to delight in what it does for her. Not to liken what God did to that. But God delights in loving you. It brings him pleasure to love you. It brings him pleasure when he sees whatever you're facing, whatever the need might be, whatever the longing might be, he longs to see that fulfilled. And that's the reason that he sent his son into the world. He sent his son into the world for you and for me so that he could save us. Save us from what? You see pictures of Jesus in the, the New Testament in the gospel accounts, the records. There were so many things that he did. There were so many instances of exchange that he had with people that brought people joy and delight. This father knew that if he sent his son into the world, and that son, as Jesus would end up telling us, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the invisible God. So he sends his son into the world to begin to give pictures to you and I of what his heart for you is like. You could be here today and you could be in the soup financially. What do you do with that? There's a God who cares about your finances. There's a God who cares about your provision. And there's a God that can take care of whatever it is that you need. Jesus owed some taxes to, to the, the Caesar and, and to whatever his temple obligations were. He had to pay things because of his obligation. There were ways that God provided in supernatural ways to help him take care of what his responsibilities were. If you're here today and you need some help. God's not sitting there saying, I I don't love you. He so loves you. He so wants to help you. He sent his son into the world to take care of you. And in taking care of you, to give you pictures. What's the value of a picture of somebody who is sick? Maybe you've got some report where you're sick. Why, Why did Jesus heal so many people? Because he hates the reality. The father hates the reality of what sin has done in our life. He hates the life that it's taken from us. And so he sent his son into the world to turn it upside down. Why did he heal people? Sickness is not his design. 
It's what happened because we turned from a God that would be able to keep us in a perfect way. And the imperfections of our turn has its consequences. And he says, even though you've done what you've done to bring those consequences on, I'm going to rescue from it. I'm going to rescue from it. All the pictures that you know of Jesus are extensions of a father in heaven who cares about you. For God so loved the world. Imagine, maybe you've never thought of it from this perspective. Every time Jesus did a miracle, every time Jesus, in touching a life, imparted grace that turned around the circumstances, blind eyes opening, storms being settled, whatever. Every time that happened, do you think that that brought pleasure to the Father? You can absolutely bank on it. He delighted in every instance of seeing something turned around, which gives me hope for you and I today. We're talking about the joy of the season. God finds joy in turning your mess around. It's the whole point of Jesus coming into the world. He delights in you, and he wants to see the mess of sin turned on its head. Now, a couple amens, but let's go. God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world. The the angels understood what that would mean. The angels understood from from a position of heaven, like, what this is going to mean for you and I. Oh, this is an amazing thing that's happened. The Savior is born. He's going to begin to turn everything on its head. So we can celebrate and clap for a baby being born and what that would mean. That baby would grow into a man and through the pictures that he would give to you and I of this father that we don't see, it could start to stir our hearts toward hope. But if you think it's just about God blessing you, it's not just about like this turns into a bless me club, like God just loves me, he's for me, and he's not expecting anything from me. No, he's expecting something from you, which brings me to the point of the next verse. Next verse says this in Hebrews in the 12th chapter, second verse. Uh, We do this, we run the course in this life that we've been given. Uh, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of, this is the point of this verse, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. There was a joy that Jesus had to come into the world. There was a joy that Jesus had in being born into a manger. There was a joy that Jesus had to live in a fallen world with your mess, my mess, the pollution of this world. There was a joy that he had to come into the middle of it. Now, the Bible also says Jesus was a man of sorrows, man of suffering. Please understand, for him to come into a manger and ultimately for him to go to a cross would mean incredible suffering in ways, whatever you've been through in your life, don't even come close. Collectively, all of our suffering put upon a Savior. He endured all of that. So Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, but there was a joy that he had because as he was walking through the mess of life, which means this practically, just because uh, Jesus is with us and he wants to help us doesn't mean we always walk around with a Kool-Aid smile. Sometimes you can rejoice with tears rolling down your face. But Jesus came into the world because of what he knew would be delivered to you and I on the other side of his suffering. What was the suffering? What's the real good news? The good news is you see him, you see the heart of the Father for your situation, but when you understand what he came to do, his mission was to die. He came into the world not just to be born, not just to live, not just to empathize and understand. He came into the world that he would be able to remove the barrier that separates you from this God as loving as he is, you better take this to the bank. He is holy. There is no darkness in him. And to stand before him requires holiness. Just saying, did you look in the mirror before you came today? Did you consider your own heart? Have you considered what you're made of? 
Are you, do I have to convince anybody in here that you're like a sinner? I, I don't think I do. Just, if you think you're good, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they got to think I'm a pretty good person. Against what? Against what standard? Because if you put yourself against Jesus, the standard is blown. And now you're in the soup. Which brings me to this point. Jesus came into the world to die. He came into the world to offer up his life as a gift. See, Christmas is about gift giving, and there is a gift that stands before each one of you today that you have the ability to receive or reject. God in his love is not forcing anybody to take in the joy and the love that he longs to give. You have to, you have to want it. You have to respond to it. Whatever happened to the people that the, the, the shepherds went to talking about, look, the, the Savior is born. I, how do you think some of them responded? Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, what's that mean? It's a baby in a manger. So what? But that baby in a manger would go to a cross for this point. The joy that was set before Jesus on a cross, he would make right before God our lives. And he did it by living a life we couldn't live. He did it by giving us a record on the cross of perfection. He said, I'll give you what you can't do, and I'll take from you everything you've done. So a cross represents this exchange, this amazing gift. It's a gift where Jesus says, if you'll trust me, I will take from you the thing that stands in the way of this Father who loves you, who's holy from not being able to embrace you up close and personal. Now, God can do things to get our attention. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, God loves me. I'm not really like a Christian. I haven't put my hope in Jesus, but I know he loves me because look at the things that he's done. He loves everybody the same, but it doesn't mean everybody is intimate with him. The only way you can be intimate with God and have a real relationship is through what Jesus did on a cross. And so he came to take from you your record. He came to take from you an old life to bury it in a grave. What does that mean? See, when somebody comes to Jesus, they say, it's not my way anymore. It's your way. My way has taken life. I understand that your way brings life. The pictures that you've given me want me to make me want to trust you. But understanding what a cross means, understanding what you did on that tree, now that's, that's next level. That goes beyond any miracle. That's the greatest miracle of all, that God would come and do for us what he did. And in that position, there has to be a response. And that response is, I don't want my way anymore. I'm dead to my approach to life. When somebody turns from their way and they trust in Jesus, all they're saying is, my way gets me in trouble. I don't want my way. So I turn from it and I say, Jesus, your way. You're the way, so I'm going to trust you. doesn't make somebody perfect, but it positions them before God. Their, their record has been forgiven. And that old life that would continue to rob life has now been broken, buried in a grave. It's nothing that God will even deal with anymore. So when you and I sit here today and we celebrate the coming of a Savior, the implications of his coming means my record is forgiven and an old life has been buried. So now I have this new lease on life, which brings me to this. So the disciples had sorrow because this one that they had put their hope in is now going to, he's saying, I'm, I'm dead. Like I'm going, the mission that I've come to fulfill is about to happen and you are not going to see me. I'm going to, I'm going to be taken out of this life and you are going to have sorrow like you've never known. All of their hope had been put in him. All that he had promised, all the things that they had seen, they died with him when he was crucified. Imagine how disillusioned they probably were. You want to talk about Sorrow. But then Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you, yeah, you'll see me again. And then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. You could actually put a big J on that joy, because the joy that would come, Jesus having removed sin from my life, would mean the Spirit of God could now come 
The context of this is the disciples are saying, but you can't leave. He said, no, I'm going to go to the Father. I've got good things waiting for you. When Jesus went to a grave, sin was forgiven. When Jesus went to a grave, an old life was buried with him. But when Mary Magdalene, the first person to see Jesus after the resurrection, when they saw an empty tomb, now they had hope. It was like, wait, Jesus is alive. Everything that he said he would do, he is done. His words can be trusted. So if he said sin is forgiven, a life put to a grave now resurrected means he can be trusted. Everything is true. Everything is true. That's something to celebrate. And that joy wouldn't just be a joy of an empty grave. That joy would now be the reality of his life in us. Jesus said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. But it's actually going to be better that I go because when I do, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you another comforter just like me. Have I been a comfort to you? Have I been a strength to you? Have I walked with you? Yes, Jesus, you have. Well, it's actually going to be better that I go because I'm not now going to be walking beside you. I'm going to now be in the place where you need the most help. I'm going to be in your heart and I'm going to make joy alive. The Bible says there's, there's joy in the presence of God. Who should be more happy than Christians? You have the spirit of God living inside of you because of what Jesus has done. What does that mean? It means the purpose that God has for you will be fulfilled. There's nothing that can stand against you. There is no power in hell. There's no circumstance of your life that is greater than the one who is within you. You could be coming in here today saying, Jesus, I really need you to help me with fill in the blank. And he's going, I'll fill in the blank for you. But how about this? How about you fill in that blank with me? If you put your trust in me, then I'm with you. And if I'm with you, why is there not joy? Don't you understand I'm going to work this out for your good? These are challenges that are overwhelming me. I know, but they're good because I know what I'm doing and I'm going to work this thing out. I got a plan for you. This isn't by happenstance. I'm working you into a position where you are going to know a joy that's even greater than the one that you know. Because on the other side of my faithfulness, you're going to say, he is even more real. How good does this get? Now, if I could just camp out on the idea that he's with us for a second. So Jesus, in trying to comfort in the context of these passages, he's saying, when he comes, you don't know what to do in life. He's going to lead you and guide you into everything that you're supposed to do. He's going to teach you. He is now the greatest teacher that you'll ever know, and it'll be from within. And he's going to remind you of everything that I told you about. And when you're stuck, he's going to give you what to do and how to get through it. He's going to be the wisdom made alive in you. And when there's a need for like a breakthrough in power, he created like everything. The the, the explosive power of the Holy Spirit brooding over creation is the same spirit that emptied a grave of Jesus. And it's the same spirit that has come and taken residence in your heart. What do you lack today? We lack nothing. We have everything. Yeah, but you don't understand the enemy. He's so real and he keeps attacking me. The enemy never stopped attacking Jesus. And the enemy's never stopped attacking the people of God. But can I give you some encouragement today? Take heart. Greater is he that's in you than anything that comes against you in this world. And that same spirit bears witness in your heart, and then I'm done, that you and I are his children. I'm just a guy. I've got my challenges. You can ask my wife. She's sitting over there. She'll tell you I'm a piece of work. But I love my kids. I love my kids. And when I think that his spirit bears witness that I'm his son and that he's my father. It overwhelms me because I know the love that I have for my kids. To see the disappointment in my son when I decapitate the 
the little guy riding the motorcycle, when I see the joy in my daughter's eyes when she holds a cat, I would do that a thousand times over. It's the least of what I would do. And yet, me being a guy, imperfect as I am, there's a father in heaven who says, now you're mine. Now you're mine. You're in my family. Whatever dysfunctional reality you know, now you're in a family. Not we're all perfect, but he's perfect. And he's perfecting our lives as we live before him. And he's saying, and one day this world is not your home. I'm going to bring you home. And what I've prepared for you, you're not even ready for. And in that place, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more grief. There will be nothing but the presence of God for eternity. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy forever and ever and ever. I hope, I hope as you walk through this season, you walk through it with the joy that's fitting. Jesus came and did all of that to show you the heart of the Father, took on all that he did on a cross, that he might be able to open up real joy that the world cannot take away into your soul by his very presence. I want to ask you as you're sitting there, did you come in with joy today? I hope you did, but let's be real. Things can happen. Somebody can tell you, it's a terrible sweater you got on. But what's any of it mean if you have him? But you have to be real. Why does the Bible say rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Why does it say that? Because it's really difficult in this life with everything that comes against us and all that can go wrong, it can begin to obscure the truths that we hold on to, the truths that have changed us. And so we have to reposition ourselves for the wonder and the truth of all that we've received. We have to remind our soul, no, 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 no. Hope in the Lord. No, no. Celebrate what he's done. And in that, it begins to reset things. So if you're here today and you need to do a little resetting, like I didn't come in here with a whole lot of joy. I'm thinking about, I've got to go home for Christmas and what's waiting for me with my family. I got to go tell my kids, I don't know how good Christmas is going to be because I lost my job. I don't have the money. Whatever could be a distraction to you, some besetting sin that you can't seem to overcome, God's Spirit is with you and He's in you to perfect Jesus through you. You're going to overcome. You're going you're to make it, whatever it is. I'm going to ask you, something is robbing you of joy right now. Just stand up. There's only one person who in this place full of thousands of folks who are living in a world that continually robs them, tries to rob them of the joy of Jesus. There's a couple of people. I would have to say there's got to be more. I don't care if you stand. Like, this is between you and God. But I know we put this message on my heart to remind all of us, but particularly those that are struggling right now to see through the mess and to be reminded of a Jesus who loves them. Father loves you. The Son loves you. The Spirit loves you. He's going to finish the work that He started. You're going to make it. Is there anybody here that has never experienced that joy? You don't know the joy of Jesus. It's not a feeling, it's a person. Jesus is joy. And the way that you know that is by receiving what He's done. You're a sinner, somebody who's imperfect. You know there's a God who's loving, but you also know he's probably a lot different than what we see in this world. He's perfect. 
to make the thing right, you got to say, I take what you've done for me and I apply it to my life. I turn from my way and I trust you for yours. Is there anybody in here that needs to do that? You can walk out of here with a joy unspeakable. It'll change everything. I promise you that. Come on, can we put our hands together and thank God for the truth of his word? And you may not have stood when I invited people to stand, but I will tell you this, you're going to go outside the door and there's going to be a world that's not so hospitable waiting for you. Do not forget, God's calling you to rejoice. It's a choice. Joy is not just a feeling. It's, it's, it's a choice. You can rejoice in the God of your salvation and you will know the wonder of what that means for your life. You have to trust him for that. That's why I don't get uncomfortable saying, hey, you got you to trust him for this truth. The sermon is just a thing to stir your heart, to engage you, to engage God. That's where the value of it is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we stand here in your presence, God. We thank you that you have, Father, you've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed your loving kindness to us, pictures of Jesus. We take those pictures to heart, and we take the greatest picture of all that he's done into our heart to make him our Savior, which means we've had to have trusted you for salvation. We have to turn from our sin. We have to turn from our way. And as we've done that, God, you've made your life, your joy alive in us. There is joy in the presence of God. That joy becomes strength for living. God, would you help us as a people today to walk out of here filled with joy, declaring it, singing about it, telling people about it, inviting people to know the wonder of your love, that they might know joy. God, help us to be those people. We look to you and we trust you for it. Now fill our hearts as we leave that that joy would remain, not just for the season, but for our life. We love you. We're so thankful for all that you've done. We we love you back. We delight in you. Thank you that you're going to do these things, that Jesus be glorified. We all say Amen. amen. Merry Christmas. 